Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's Mr. Fryer. Let's go. Lawrence Holmes, noon to two on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Can you dig it? Can you dig it? Can you dig it? have uh, what feels like a really big game tonight in Philadelphia. You'll be able to hear the game here on the score starting at 545. Chuck and Bill will have the call. It's been rough for the Bulls over the last two weeks of games since the All-Star break. It's been rough and it doesn't get any easier because you start looking at the matchup with them and the Sixers. Joel Embiid in his last three games against the Bulls 40 and 10 30 and 16, 18, 9, and 7. And they've got to deal with him and a rested James Harden. I thought it'd be a good idea to talk ball with someone who knows ball, who covers the NBA, does a great job for stadium and Bally sports. Cameron Smith now joining me here on the Circuit Resort and Casino Hotline. <laughs> Circuit Resort and Casino in Las Vegas, home of the world's largest sports book. Sir, you blessed me with your presence on the show. Thank you. <laughs> no, not at all. You blessed me with having me on the show, man. It's I, always good vibes when I'm joining the show, man. How yeah, you doing, yeah, man. I'm doing. I, I, hey, I want all the the folks on the west side to be able to hear their the, the homegrown <laughs> talent show up and talk about what's happening in the NBA. Hey, you know what, man? Every time somebody thinks about Chicago, they think about the South Side, man. So anytime a West Sider is on a big platform, we got to make sure that we show love outside of the city because it's not any of us out here doing this. Got to make sure we rep for the West Side. There's no doubt about it. What, what, when you're watching the Bulls over the last couple of weeks, what are you seeing as being reasons why they haven't been successful? Well, I mean, you got to point to two big reasons. Obviously, with Alex Russo and Lonzo Ball being out defensively uh, with their respective injuries, injuries, of course, Caruso with the wrist because of uh, Grayson Allen, and I know Chicagoans don't like to hear that name because um, it, it brings up PTSD with that hard foul that he took on Caruso. Um, in Milwaukee, and then also Lonzo uh, kind of getting his knee cleaned for the stretch run for the Bulls. So you look at them being out and how the Bulls have just really been trash, and I, I can't mix my words because that's what the, what they did defensively, um, especially at that guard spot. This is a, this is a group that was one of, one of the more formidable teams uh, when it comes to preparing their defense, but with Caruso and Ball being out, the Bulls now are dead last 
the NBA in opponent guards point, points per game. And I think they're giving up just over 80, around 81.1 points per game, just from a guard group alone um, and opponents. So that, that's one of the big reasons why they struggle so mightily, not only in just regular games, but also when you think about them and that, that nasty record against some of the elite teams in the NBA, especially in the East. So um, those are two really big reasons why they've really struggled since the off break. Look, there's no magic in, in being able to guard Joel Embiid. He's probably no. going to be the MVP, and if not, he'll be number two uh, in, in MVP voting. But the Bulls have, have really struggled to contain him. With their personnel and now the adding of Tristan Thompson, do they have a better chance at slowing him down and maybe moving the ball out of his hands than they did a week ago? Listen, they better hope that Joel Embiid, one, had a bad rest last night, that he didn't get any sleep, that he maybe woke up with a crick in his neck or he ate some bad breakfast or some bad food. Because if anything that hasn't thrown him off his game, then the Bulls are going to be in a whole lot of hell tonight against that man. Now, keep this in mind because Joel Embiid, as you mentioned, his numbers the last time the Bulls played the sixteen. Uh, really trying to help himself out in terms of that MVP race because, of course, he's going to go up against – DeMar DeRozan, who's still in consideration, who should be, in my opinion, um, in the top of this MVP race with Joel Embiid and Nikola Jokic. you got to throw in John Moran, who's doing his thing with the Memphis Grizzlies. So Embiid knows that this is another opportunity for him to show out against one of the better teams in the NBA. And this Bulls front court that ain't stopping nobody. Let's just keep it a buck, Lawrence. And you know this, and I'm a Chicago guy, as I mentioned. I'm from the west side, but you, you got to call a spade a spade. And what Nikola Vucevic and, of course, the addition of Tristan Thompson um, has done, has made this front court a little bit more formidable and they can provide a little bit more resistance. But Joel Embiid is just a, a monster of a man just off the size alone. But then also you throw on skill-wise what he's able to do uh, from a perimeter, from three, of course, his pull-up game. And then also when he wants to be a bull, he can be that inside of the paint. And you're looking at a front court that it won't be able to counter again provide resistance against a guy that is just a monster and understands that this is an opportunity for him to show out um, against the Bulls and just add more to his MVP resume, which I think he will uh, end up winning that award just with how Philly has played even better now since the addition of James Harden. And that's the difference of the Sixers team is that the previous time that they played against Philly, they barely were able to kind of keep in that game. They had to give a monster effort from DeMar DeRozan to drop 45, but Philly didn't have James Harden. So now you throw James Harden into that mix with this Philly rotation of Tyree Maxey, Tyrese Maxey, excuse me, has played um, lights out since the addition of James Harden. He's playing really well. So now just add another piece to this Philly offense. So you really can't focus your attention all on Joel Embiid, which allows him to just open up and have more opportunity to score in the basketball. Cam, why is it so difficult to guard James Harden? It's it's a lot of things, L. It's so much because one, and, and let's 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 have a, a serious conversation about James Harden and where he fits within some of the more prolific scores in NBA history. He's up there. Like, don't get it twisted. James Harden is, is a difficult matchup. Uh, one, because if anybody has played serious or high-level basketball, when you play against a skilled left-handed player, it's difficult to try and slow them down because if you're right-handed, everything is opposite. So he has that working for him. But then, two, he has the size and the strength really to take contact and get to the lane and score after getting fouled. So you're looking at a guy at, you know, 6'6", six, six, maybe 6'7", six, but 
that can get to the lane, carry guys on the tip and get to the lane and knock and finish off plays for ones or just take that contact without a foul and finish for layups or get into the lane and do damage. Then you add into what he does from the perimeter, of course, the, the four or five foot, maybe sometimes 10 foot step back mm-hmm. that he uses that doesn't get called for travels. Um, he's been effective in those moves. And it just feels like with this James Harden that we see now in Philly, he's rejuvenated. He's motivated to really go out there because he understands that, again, this is another situation where he's forced himself out of or away from a team that he previously with. And he knows that it's a, his opportunity to really prove himself along with Joel Embiid to get Philadelphia, whether in the Eastern Conference Finals or maybe the Finals or potentially winning the championship, this will help his really narrative of what his story is. So you, you add into the motivation factor, him being lefty, again, his size, his strength, and then his ability to manipulate officials to get foul calls, it allows him to get into a rhythm offensively. So if you got a guy that's getting to the free throw line early, and that's always the best time and best way to get yourself comfortable and relax into the game is get to the free throw line. Then everything else offensively, you're really kind of you're at his mercy because you can't keep reach your hands in because again he manipulates the officials and how he's able to kind of sell those calls. But then too, if you have your hands down, he's that much more efficient shooting from the perimeter and his pull ups or his step backs that you're really defensively you're guessing on try to guard him and try and slow him down and defend him. The other thing that I think is interesting, and if you're like, man, that was really technical and a good breakdown, well, yeah, because Cam was one of the best high school point guards in the country, um, which I always like to make fun of him because he's got <laughs> he's got all the stories of actually playing with Chris Paul and LeBron when when he was a kid. I love the the screen roll pick pop game that Harden and Embiid can play. Yeah. I I feel like I feel like Embiid is terrifying with someone. That that really understands the spacing. If it were if it were Chris Paul and Embiid, it would be terrifying. And with Harden, because you have to worry about where he might shoot from, you have to be on your head's like on a swivel. I don't know how you guard these two guys. I feel like they're a perfect match for each other in a screen roll game. Yeah, and that's 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 the nightmare that a lot of teams are going to have, especially this Bulls team tonight. And you're going to see it in the game where. As a defender on defending pick and rolls, whether it's high school, college, especially the NBA, you're taught two ways to defend it. You either the person guarding the ball who's screen, you're either taught to go over the top, which means basically with that ball handler, you try and follow them and stay on their hip so that now when you go over the top, you're forcing that ball handler to make a decision. The dangerous thing about that with Philadelphia and James Harden with the size of Harden being able to see over defenders, that if he has you on his hip, you come to the factors that I mentioned about how he's able to manipulate the officials and get foul calls, he can really kind of have you at his mercy with you on his back as a defender. And with a Bulls front court with a Nikola Vucevic or even a Tristan Thompson that are undersized when it comes to matching up against Joel Embiid, you have two guys, James Harden and Joel Embiid, as we saw he played against the Knicks, uh, as a square guard, where they combined for 50, over 50 free throws, where they're coming downhill towards you as a defender. And we've seen the Bulls time and time again and that drop coverage that they try and play with that big, whether it's Vucevic, Tristan Thompson, even Derrick Jones Jr., where they're backpedaling. And when you backpedal, you're, you're really kind of sinking yourself even deeper and deeper into the paint, and you're providing no resistance to that ball handler. So now you have Embiid and Harden coming at you, 
Maybe sometimes full speed, maybe sometimes at a control speed, but they're forcing you to make a decision on who you're going to stop. If it's going to be Harden, then you're leaving that option for the lock or a beat or maybe even a bounce pass for, again, a monster man coming right to the rim to dunk the basketball. Uh, if you decide to go under the screen, and that's not being on the hip of James Harden and kind of going under that ball screen, now you're setting yourself up where you're giving James Harden a free look from the perimeter um, and from three. And as I mentioned before, listen, if you give him that space, well, then good luck because you're about to get barbecue chicken. It's going to be 40 piece spicy. Whatever you want to describe it, it's going to be ugly. So, it's, it's again, it's not even just a, a Bulls problem tonight that you'll see. It's an NBA problem that a lot of teams fear of that pick and roll, that ball screen with Harden and Embiid because, one, they can shoot. Two, they can finish with contact. And three, they know how to manipulate defenders to draw fouls on them to get to the free throw line. Yeah, you don't want him to pull that Uncle Remus on you, and it could definitely nah, happen. You can't. You don't want to do that, man. You don't want the salt and pepper on the fries and the chicken. And, and, and listen, if you fuck hard, then that means you, you're done for the night. <laughs> it does mean that. All right, I want to lean on your point guardness just a little bit more. Here's something that I've been trying to figure out. It hasn't just been during the losing streak. It's one of my issues with the Bulls as a team. They seem to allow opponents to dictate pace and and usually lesser opponents. When it comes to a team like Philadelphia or Milwaukee, like good luck. But but even watching them versus Atlanta and all the games that they've allowed Atlanta to dictate pace. So what type of things can they do offensively to dictate pace themselves and not allow the other team to kind of get into these run and gun games? Yeah, that's a great question, Ellen. I think the biggest thing that you want to do when you try and dictate pace yourself offensively is understanding what personnel and what kind of attack that you have, right? So I think what's, again, going back to the, the um, absences of Caruso ball, you've really never seen this Bulls team be on the, 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 the backpedaling end, the, the kind of retreat end when it comes to uh, playing defense. It's always them kind of controlling things because they have that front line of defense with Ball and Caruso that can pick up full court. And so that's – I'm not sure if fans have been able to see this, but um, as a point guard, is understanding that you're the front line of the defense, one, to control those slow guys down, you got to kind of try and pick the ball up full court. The Bulls right now, personnel-wise, don't have guys like that uh, to be able to do that consistently for four quarters. I know Io's been playing tremendously. He has the toughness um, that I've been able to see since he was in high schools and covering him to really, in the half court, disrupt some things. But asking him to be able to have, wear that hat and be that Caruso or ball type for four quarters to try and throw down a Harden or a Tyrese Maxey, they had that ball coming up full speed downhill, it's a big ask, right? And so that's what we've been seeing from an Atlanta team or even sometimes a Milwaukee, as we saw the other night with them, or even with John Morant when he had uh, the 46-piece at the United Center is that they understand with that those two guys out in Caruso and Ball that you can push that basketball. Now, offensively, what you can try and do to slow that down is, one, have good offense and score the basketball, right? <laughs> because if you're not making shots, now you have to try and kind of rebound and kind of get back into uh, a defensive mode where you're already uh, with long rebounds or, or kind of quick outlets ahead that you're already now in a hole because you're not going to be able to stop that basketball before it gets, gets past half court. And so if you're picking up the basketball defensively, picking up full court, that can try and help yourself and your team get set defensively to slow down the offense. So um, that's one key of it. But then a big key, of course, we talk about Caruso on ball. you got to make shots. 
to try and slow teams down, right? And you got to have guys in position to try and slow down that push of pace uh, for opponents when they get it. What's it been like to watch DeMar DeRozan have this type of season? It's, it's been watch. It's been it's been it's been seeing a guy that have, has really not gotten the respect that he deserves over his NBA career. Fully step into just all the love, all of the you know, quote unquote flowers that he should have been receiving. Like, don't don't get it twisted. Demar Derozan has been playing God level basketball this season for the Chicago Bulls, and I don't hesitate when I say God level basketball. I mentioned that he should be in the top three of the MVP voting. See how that turns out. Um, we get towards the end of the season, and hopefully the Bulls can have a turnaround and Demar can pick his offensive production, but reading the article with uh marine fader that my guy our guy jason golf uh tweeted out because uh with the ringer and, and kind of reading through demar as a kid growing up in Compton and how he idolized the bulls and michael jordan and he always wanted to have that type of arena to perform in and seeing him do that in the chicago Bulls uniform with all of the tim bond temps guys out there saying that he was the worst free agent signing in the offseason him being able to step up and provide the offense for the Bulls, making that work within Billy Donovan's system and Zach Steen has been beautiful because he's doing it through the range, like the lost art of NBA basketball, of basketball period. Because again, it, it's this era where, you know, everybody thinks that Seth Curry, everybody thinks that they're the Warriors, they can take crazy ill-advised threes and think that that's good basketball for that analytics crowd. But DeMar DeRozan is showing that the mid-range is not dead, and he's doing it so efficiently and effectively. And still, the mid-range is one of the toughest shots to take. But when you master it like DeMar has, you're able to get that shot off in tight spaces and feel comfortable doing that. So I think what we, we're seeing is um, the ghost of Michael Jordan, uh, God rest his soul, the ghost of Kobe Bryant, uh, being infused into Marta Rosen when he's in that Bulls uniform and knocking down shots. So talk about how he idolized Jordan as a kid. Of course, him growing up in Compton, Kobe was a guy, his guy, a close relationship. So he's really taking pieces and parts of their game and really molded it into his. And he's having a, a really an MVP caliber season. Are you retired now? Like, did the injury say you know more basketball for you or what? Listen, I have to convince my wife, L, that I still got something left in the tank. So. Um, she's the uh, she's the commissioner of uh, <laughs> of that. So uh, all, all all my uh, spouses out there, you understand this when when you uh, when you got a big decision, you got to involve your spouse. You you know that it's uh, they get the final say. So right now, I I've been out of the boot for a couple of months. So you know my transition from going from the hard cast to the scooter to the air cast. I'm officially out. I've been having great PT sessions. I feel good. I want to see how I feel at the end of the summer. So I need to have a, a, a private run like Mike used to have at Hoops the Gym back in the day when he was making his, his comeback. I need to have something like that to really test and see if I have something left in the tank. Listen, I feel good, but again, wifey is the, the end-all, be-all. So if wifey says I'm retired, then I'm retired, and I'll make sure that you get an invite to my retirement ceremony. I will uh, be there for that. Maybe. That would be awesome. <laughs> it would be really awesome, man. Where can, where can people see you over the next couple of days? Well, you can definitely always keep keep catch up with me on social media at Cameron Smith on Twitter and all social media handles. But I'm live five days a week for Live on the Line, our sports betting show. I have so much fun uh, with my crew of betting company. 
and also Brad Evans. My man, Brad Evans, riding. man. Yeah, you know, Brad, Brad, I always describe Brad as a one-of-one. One. There's nobody like Brad Evans, man. We had so much fun on our show and, and just kind of talking to betting. Um, you can catch us on there at 11 p.m. Central Time, 12 p.m. Eastern on uh, across the Valley Sports Regional Networks, of course, on WatchStadium.com. Um, inside the association, my NBA show that I host with Sham Sharania, my man Shams, and uh, former NBA player Pat Garrity always happens uh, every Thursday and, of course, across Valley Sports Regionals, uh, Wednesday and Thursday and Friday as well. So catch me out there. And also, I'll be back in Champaign this week, man. I'm doing the HSA Boys Basketball State Championships for classes 1A and 3A, man. So I'm excited that the games are returning back to Champaign where they originally started. So it's going to be a lot of nostalgia with that. Um, and I'm excited to see how this all plays out uh, since we finally have a return of uh, state championship games in the state of Illinois. So it's going to be exciting. So uh, you have a lot of ways to catch up with me and uh, tap in with me. I'm really hoping that whoever is producing and directing those broadcasts, and I know a couple of people who are involved, find some good old school Cam Smith tape <laughs> on the VHS. Or they find they they find some of those still pictures and they can put them back up so so people understand the bona fides and understand the skills of you calling games down there. Listen, I will say this, man. I was I was top ten all time in assists in Gordon Tech history for a reason. So if they pull out the footage, then they would definitely see my point guard skills that we talked about uh, throughout the year, man. So um, it's, it's uh, I, I hope they understand that you know um, that was way back back in the day, like twenty <laughs> years ago. <laughs> and I look a, lo- a lot different now than I did back then. A lot more hair and all of those things. A little less weight. So uh, it'll be interesting if they can pull that out out the archives and dust that off. Man, I always love when you're on the show, man. Keep doing great work over there with Stadium and Bally's. I saw y'all when I was in Phoenix, and I just I saw you and Noise out there, and I was like, look at my dudes. They're out here just man. doing it, and it's great. Man, like, we seriously have fun every single day we are on that show, man. It's just a great vibe over there at Stadium and Bally Sports, man. Our guy, Russ Dorsey, is over there doing this thing yes. with the rally, man, and with Joshua Perry and Brooke Fletcher, so – uh, we're doing our thing, man. It's, it's good vibes, man. And, L, you know you're my guy, and I appreciate you having me on the platform, man, as always. You're always the best, man. Be well, sir. I'll talk to you soon. All right. Take care, L. That's Cameron Smith. I love him. I, You know me. Like, There's a lot of people around the city that I really, really like. The fact that he, like, two of my favorite people are on one show together. Brandon, we need to get Brad. You haven't experienced Brad Evans, have you? No, I have not. Oh, my God. We need to get Brad on the show. I already got him on the list. Got him on the list. Because he's he's a crazy person. And I adore him. And now he's here. And, you know, as I'm going to start working on becoming more social and seeing people that I care about, like, he's high on the list. Because me and him need to go do tequila because he's like a tequila expert, too. But I was riding with Brad. Brad threw out late, like Saturday night. I was I was getting ready to go to bed, and then Brad was like, "You know what you should do? You should play this under in this conference game." And I looked at the numbers, and I look, I was like, "You know what? I'm riding with Brad. Brad made me money. I hit Fanduel up like that, and Brad made me money. Fade the noise. So him and Cam doing a show together. You heard Cam? That dude breaks down basketball." And I'm not lying. Like, he was legitimately one of the best basketball players in the country. Like, he was, he was, 
He tells the story funnier than I do, but I'll just give you the Cliff Notes version of it. Because, you know, it's a very – think about Derrick Rose at the All-Star game and everyone's dancing and Derrick's not dancing. That's Cam. When Cam was at camp and they, someone had asked him, who's the best player at this camp? And he's like, I'm the best player at this camp. Meanwhile, there was a junior out of Akron named LeBron who was at the camp. So him and Chris Paul and LeBron, like, they all played in this camp. And then he's like, yeah, I found out. I found out I wasn't the best player at the camp. But he was still holding his own out there. Then went and played Southern, and now, you know, he's out here doing work, man. But I really appreciate him. He's a great guy and a fantastic basketball analyst. So him doing the state championship games, like, that's cold. That's perfect. We're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to get back to baseball. There's two things that I want you to hear, and I'm going to let you hear them in the next segment. I went back through the MLBPA press conference from last week, and there's a portion of it that I think will be really interesting to you. It has to do with playoffs and how many teams are in and why the players don't want it to be 14. I'll give you that and some more on the labor issues and the lockout next here on The Score. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink think what you'll wear on that third date download the instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last minimum ten dollar per order additional term supply tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone news in order to secure convictions in a court of law it is essential that we conclusively sports clock at four donchich the step back three you bet music you said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. Lawrence Holmes, noon to 2 on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. Players want to play. We, we all know that. But the reason we're not playing is simple. A lockout is the ultimate economic weapon. Let me repeat that. A lockout is the ultimate economic weapon. In a $10 billion industry, the owners have made a conscious decision to use this weapon against the greatest asset they have, the players. Voice cousin of Kenny Williams, beard cousin of Lovey Smith, Tony Clark head of the Players Association. Saturday was an interesting day because I was trying to figure, I was trying to figure out what I was going to do with the day because 
obviously, you saw this morning, things can change pretty quickly in Chicago. You don't like the weather, just wait. Just you wait. Just you wait. Just you wait. So Saturday morning, I'm sitting there going, okay, this is an opportunity to get outside. So I was up early, 7 o'clock. I was like, you know what I need to do, which I haven't done in a while? I need to put tires in, air in my bike tires. I need to go do that. So walk my bike down to the gas station, filled it up. I'm like, yeah, now if I really do want to go on a ride, I can go. Put the bike back into the garage. and like, now what's next? What's next for me? So, well, until I figure that out, why don't I do some work? Because that's usually what happens. So I found myself watching the MLB PA press conference from start to finish. It's like 40 minutes or so. It's really interesting. I would highly recommend if you want to get their side of the discussion that you go check it out. I'll get back to that in a second. Then after that, had a nice big breakfast from the OHOP on 47th. And, I mean, they always tell you that it's going to be 20 minutes and it ends up always being 45. Uh, they should be able to change that on the app. Like, I literally ran it. When I, because I was cleaning up around the house. I was doing a couple of chores around the house. So, I'm like, oh, they'll deliver it. And when it said 20 to 30 minutes, I was like, mm, no, fam. That's not what's getting ready to happen. It's 45 minutes. Just say it's 45 minutes. Yeah, they always do that. I Trust me, I've been there lots of times. I already know how it is. I mean, come on. And then after I ate and I had been outside with the bike, I had been taking the garbage out, like cleaning up the garage. I was like, oh, no, seasonal allergies. Oh, no. I had already bought my ticket for the fire match. I'm like, this is terrible. So I'm watching Bama play LSU. And I'm, I was just like, I'm about to go to sleep now. That's what's getting ready to happen. I took a Benadryl. I was out, out. I was open mouth on the couch, out. Until about 3.30, I was like, you should probably get going to the fire match. Then I went to the fire match, and it was great. Oh, Mariachi Monumental is the name of the group that did the anthem at, at the fire match, and they were phenomenal. Now back to the baseball, the reason that you came to listen to this segment. I thought it was really interesting hearing those guys talk about what the differences are. And one of the things that is standing in the way of an agreement, and I think it's one of the bigger issues, and you'll hear why in a second, is the playoff formatting. And expanded playoffs where the owners would like 14 teams to be in the playoffs, and the players aren't necessarily saying no to 14 teams being in the playoffs, but they don't like how the owners have set up the playoffs. So the voices you're going to hear, you're going to hear Max Scherzer first, and then you're going to hear Andrew Miller. Like They were the players that were on the dais, and they were talking about why they don't like what the owners propose for a 14-team playoff. Well, it really became down to a format issue. In a 14-team in a playoff structure, uh, we felt like competition could be eroded in that scenario. And uh, we had specific examples of different players who spoke up uh, that highlighted that specifically for that reason, you know, working with the, the economists, you know, on the union staff, you know, we felt like we had devised a format that would incentivize division. Win- that not, you would, def- you would incentivize 
competition throughout all the seeds, and especially for division winners. And that was very, very important to us because when we play 162 games, when you're out there, and I know we're all trying to win that division. I mean, that's such an important piece to this when we're out there playing the games to that that to have that remain true. Uh, if that piece wasn't in the puzzle in the 14 team 14 team uh, playoff structure, we didn't see that the necessary that home field advantage uh, solely home field advantage was going to be the necessary piece to try to go out there and win your division. And so for that reason, that's why a 12 team 12 team format made more sense to us. The, the buy for the division winners wasn't an incentive enough. But then continuing on from from those division winners down, uh, we didn't see the uh, proper incentive for those other two division winners. Yeah, was a buy just for one division winner? Right. Yeah. Each league. That's right. A core goal of this negotiation is to increase competition. We There's no way we're leaving the table without something that does that. And uh, there are proposals, and we've spent a lot of time debating the merits of various playoff formats, and there's probably not a better guy to ask in the room than Max. But we're not going to do anything that sacrifices competition and sees anything that, that points towards mediocrity. That That's the antithesis of our game and, and what we're about as players. We didn't understand why they didn't want to take us up on a more competitive format. That last part where Andrew Miller is like, yeah, we thrive on competition and we want a competitive playoff and we're not leaving the table until we get one. And then, Scherzer with the tip in saying, yeah, competitive. That's what we're about. These guys are looking at what the owners are asking them as it not being about the competition. That's why part of the reason that they want a reward for teams that win their division. And there's a real argument for that. It's so difficult to win a division in baseball. The grind of 162, we seem to love the concept of it, but don't do a great job of rewarding the team that actually has gone and won a division over 162 games. Where Max and and Andrew are saying, yeah, the first, the one team gets a bye, but no one else gets a bye. And you work too hard to win a division to only have the advantage of home field. That's not enough considering how big a deal it is to win a division, which I think is a very interesting way to look at baseball. I think it's the opposite. I think it's how we romanticize we view the game, but it's not how we actually view it. We romanticize the idea of it takes so much to go from April to October or March in some cases to October and win a grind where the balance of the games is is slanted towards you playing more games inside of your division. It's hard. How can we go about better rewarding the team that does the hard thing? Because we know how random the playoffs are and how that doesn't really, the best team doesn't win the World Series. The best team in the division wins the division. There's just too many games, and outside of a couple quirks here and there, that team is going to be the team that finishes with with the best record after 162 games. But inside there, I'm also hearing guys that think that the owners aren't trying to make this game as competitive as they would like for it to be. 
if that means that the the competition, even the competitive balance tax, they want more owners to try and win. And we can argue about that. And I know that they're arguing about what are the best paths to winning. If you're the Cubs over the last decade, that path was let's tear it down, let's reap the benefits, and then put in the money to try and build a winner. It's, okay, we bottomed it out. Now as we're building back up, let's go get John Lester. Let's go spend money on him. Same thing for the White Sox. Well, let's follow that formula, and let's try to win by stripping it down. Now, does it mean that I still think of the White Sox as a small market team, even though they're in a big market? And it's not a diss. It just is the reality of it. They're just not as many of us as Sox fans as there are of Cubs fans or Yankees fans or Dodgers fans. Even though they're in a big market, it's a small market team. and But they've been acting like they aren't, which is a good thing. Like They've been spending money. I think they could spend more, but it's not my money. And then people over there get mad when I say they should be spending more money. They should have spent more money. Why wasn't Michael Brantley playing right field last year? Okay, so now I don't have to do that anymore. But I appreciate what Max and Andrew are saying about trying to make it more competitive. They want the owners who have been sliding by by not putting out the competitive teams to stop sliding by. And that way you would raise the salaries of all players because there would be more real opportunities for players to go places that need help. One more thing I'll share with you. This is from Gordon Wittenmeyer. Gordon was great. I think that the this year for sure the owners want to play less games. I was curious, and I asked Gordon, if they overall want to play less games. Here's what he said. I think there's some that, that probably would rather see fewer games. Look, if you can expand the playoffs, that's where the vast majority of the money is made on TV deals and so on. And, and so if you could expand the playoffs by what they would like to see is, is 14 teams instead of the 10 they have now, which is already a recent expansion, then you could play a shorter season, just back off a little bit on the back end of the season, and then start a little bit later on the front end. You would potentially get some more some better weather in the first week of games and also you would have a you know where you make all your money would still be there the the great summertime days june july august and the pennant races in september and then the playoffs so there's a lot to be said there i think players probably wouldn't necessarily object to that either but this thing about not wanting to play in april is very much a 2022 phenomenon right now because they've got They've got a bigger TV deal that starts taking coming into play this year. The money's the money's already in the bank, assuming they play most of their games. Uh, the Athletic had a report that until they get to about 25 games lost off the schedule, they don't have to give rebates on the local TV money in many cases. So between those savings on uh, between the the lack of losses by losing games early. The gains you're going to make on the back end, especially if you get some expanded playoffs by the time they get a deal done, and then the owner's contention that they don't plan to pay the players for the game's loss, so they'll be it'll be prorated salaries. All of a sudden, it's a windfall for the owners, which is disgusting. If this is your end game, and you look at losing April as a windfall for you, which clearly they do, that's despicable.
Great stuff from Gordon Wittenmeyer. Back after this on The Score. Lawrence Holmes, noon to two on Sports Radio 670 The Score and 670thescore.com in Odyssey Station. I got to admit that when Loyola lost that game to Northern Iowa, I was like, you know, I could see them being a one seed in the NIT and maybe them facing DePaul in the NIT. Some stuff would have to happen, meaning DePaul would need to win their game Wednesday against St. John so that they can finish with a 500 record overall. And Loyola would have to end up in the NIT. Well, guess what? The Ramblers were like, nope, we're not doing that. We'll just run through the Missouri Valley Conference. We'll just do that. And we'll win the MVC yet again before we leave, before we bounce. We're out of here. No. And they did it. Really great. Lucas Williamson's a player. Uguak, player, high riser. They do whatever it takes to get stuff done. And this is the scary part. The scary part is that Drew Valentine is the youngest coach in NCAA. Was he 29? Maybe just turned 30? When you have, you've worked with Porter Moser as his top assistant, you're able to take over with some personnel changes and still find yourself in the NCAA tournament, getting Loyola back-to-back tournament bids, which is great. The bad part about that job, as great as it is, because I think it's a great job with a great building and an unbelievable fan base. And what Porter built and what Drew is building on is really awesome. But you just know when you have success like that, when you have a guy that played under Tom Izzo, you know that people are going to come get him. My hope is that he stays at Loyola if he wants. But if he wants to get rich, there are going to be opportunities, and I support that as well. Good work, Drew Valentine. Parkinson Spiegel around the corner. They'll lead you up to Bulls basketball next on The Score. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Yes, and even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. It's better over here. After investing billions to light up our network, T-Mobile is America's largest 5G network. Plus, right now, you can switch, keep your phone, and we'll pay it off up to $800. See how you can save on every plan versus Verizon and AT&T at T-Mobile.com slash across America. Up to four lines via virtual prepaid card. Allowed 15 days. Qualifying unlocked device credit service ported 90 plus days with device and eligible carrier and timely redemption required. Card has no cash access and expires in six months.